Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode was brought to you by patrons Aaron Goodmiller and Clinton Cornwell. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today we have on James Morosini, a director and actor. You might recognize him from American Horror Story. He's been on a bunch of episodes. He is also on the new full screen show, Foursome, which is funny because his movie that he just made is called Three Something. It is about two best friends that meet a girl and try tried to have a threesome with her. You can see the viral trailer on YouTube right now. It's a movie that is relatively low budget, and usually we don't really talk about these kind of micro-budget films, but this one is actually really good. The thing I like about the movie Three Something is that it checks all the boxes of what it takes to make a good micro-budget feature, and we'll dig in a little deeper on how James kind of figured out and approached what he wanted to do, but really most of the conversation is about okay, so you made a good movie, what next? And we dig in with James on how he thinks about the success of the film or the goals that he had in making it in the first place and what he wants out of his future as a filmmaker. Uh, So it's really frank and interesting and earnest. Yeah, and it's Um, a textbook study on not waiting for permission to make anything. We also have a new segment on the show where we talk to a young filmmaker who's just entered film school. Her name is Jemai. She's just started film school. We're going to check in with her every couple months just to see where her head's at, where her heart's at, uh, what she's learning, what she wishes she was learning, all of that stuff. And it's going to be kind of a real-time document on what it's like to be in a film school. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that if you don't go to film school or didn't go to film school, you can kind of like steal a little bit of film school knowledge (laughs) by listening to literally the month-to-month assignments and realizations and learnings of someone that's going to arguably one of the top 10 film schools in the nation. Before we get into our new segment and talking to James, can you please tell me, Matt, what have you been working on lately? Yeah, so I'm show running a Facebook Watch show. I think we've talked about that a little bit. Yeah. But a thing that I thought we could talk about today is that I have been posting a lot of pictures. Just say, of I'll say it. Awesome yeah. set selfies. Yeah. That directing on set. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been uh, having a good time with that. And it honestly, it's because it started as a conversation where my manager was like, hey, I need a good photo of you looking like a director 
for some briefs basically that he was like sending stuff out and like i you know it's been a while since i've updated a headshot or anything and it's just good to have a photo of you holding a camera or pointing or something like what, that the photo of you with the fake vampire fangs didn't wasn't sufficient hey i've got my money's worth out of the vampire <laughs> fangs photo and still love it um but no that's true you know like when you send a deck about like hey this is a cool young director seeing a photo of me looking directory is helpful so i would talk to producers that i had good relationships and be like hey you know will you take a photo of me here or there and if we found some downtime or whatever i'd ask a dp to do it and so i brought it up to my pal and he had been taking a bunch of good ones especially because the show is very visual and very gag oriented so the pictures are all like me standing next to a chicken or me directing a you know a a guy in a ski mask and uh, a bathing suit, stuff like that. And uh, Oren, you commented about yeah, what how the, the deal heck, is. How the heck do you get photos of yourself directing? It just seems like really douchey to walk up to someone and be like, hey, can you uh, take a few photos of me directing? And I think that there is a version where it is douchey, but I also have been really thoughtful about trying to take photos of actors in particular because i know that having a good photo from set of them doing something fun and colorful and cool a it helps promote the show but b more importantly it helps them the rate isn't incredible for these gigs like they're you know well-paid jobs but it's not like it's a non-union show they're not getting residuals or anything like that and so this is another way to show my appreciation and so i started taking a lot of photos of them and it's fun also uh, and uh, like I said, show, shows that I appreciate them and, and, you know, kind of also shows the appreciation for the set and the wardrobe and kind of all of the other people. If people are having fun and taking photos of the cool work that everyone's done, then that creates a good atmosphere. And, and are you so, never worried about putting photos out from set? Like when I did that Neil Patrick Harris thing recently, I was like, it would be really cool to get a picture of me directing Neil Patrick Harris. But then I was like, ah, I don't know how they would feel about that. And if I put it on Instagram before it came out, I was just like nervous about being that person. For sure. And you just don't put it out before it comes out, honestly. I, like I took a photo uh, with me and Twitch and I just waited for the episode to, to post before I posted it. And I think that sometimes crew members are looking for a little bit of permission because like celebrities know that it's very cool to have your photo with them. And so they get it. And sometimes, you know, you can be like, oh, hey, producer who I know really would love a photo with Neil Patrick Harris. Let me let me snap one. And it, it, part of it comes down to rapport. Right. You know, I get like embarrassed. Like I never would go up to a celebrity and be like, hey, can I get a quick photo with you? Because I don't know. I just feel like it goes like outside of the it's professional yeah. relationship. It's like I want you to treat me as a peer this entire time. But at the end, I want to fan out. You know? Well, I think that there's a difference between the photo of you like, oh my God, MPH so cool, which is a totally valid feeling to have and being like, hey, can you, I'm going to point at the monitor. Can you get Neil in the frame as well <laughs> right. is, is a different ask. And like, it's embarrassing, but also there is a professional angle to it that like, if you're in the trenches with somebody, you've probably done like something more embarrassing in a different way in front of them all the time. Yeah. Well, great feedback on set selfies. I'm yeah. Trying to put some of that into play. But Oren, tell me, you've got a lot of stuff going on. What have you been working on lately? I guess the thing that's been keeping me the most busy is I'm shooting a series of six 15 second commercials for uh, Walt Disney World. 
which I'm not familiar. What's crazy is like, I thought Disney world was like the Disneyland part of the park. Oh, or I don't, I know nothing. Right. So I was like, yeah, there's like Disney world and there's Epcot center. But Disney World is the collection of parks sure. in Florida. The Magic Kingdom <coughs> is like Disneyland. The Magic, exactly. The Magic Kingdom is the Disneyland copy. Uh, and then there's Epcot Center, and then there's Hollywood Studio Land, and there's Toy Story Land, and there's the Animal Kingdom, and there's 25 resorts owned by Disney. It mm-hmm. is like And some insane. water parks. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've got a lot of space out in Florida. Disney like owns Orlando. So the interesting thing is that I went for a scout at the Magic Kingdom last week, and I'm going back to Orlando for all of next week. There's music like throughout the entire park. Like there's nowhere really you can be in the park where you don't hear like the music of the land. Like every you know light and rock and floor is like some sort of speaker. So when you're filming there, obviously you don't want what they called BGM, the background music playing. So you have to negotiate with the park mm-hmm. to turn off the music in the part where you are when you're filming. And the park is totally open. So there's guests there and the park's priority is guests are more important than the film crew. What, how do you deal with releases and stuff? Are you worried about that? I am incredibly worried about that. We, so we are going to have some extras, but like, I mean like eight extras, right? And I had to fight so hard for that. And they showed me all these videos they made without any extras, which are like, you know, using low angles or like people mm-hmm. are super out of focus, like all shot on like 100 millimeter primes at like 1.8. But I want to shoot this more like a modern family style, you know, like with zooms and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we we're not going to get that shallow of a depth of field. And also it's about this whole family that's at Disney World. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I think it's just like clever are you allowed to blur faces and post or is that kind of no but we are allowed to ask like real park guests to sign releases okay so that's what we'll do and they said a lot of them are amenable to it i mean of course to me the bigger problem is kind of the looky lose like all these people Mm -hmm. looking right into the lens so how we block our our shots um so i don't know it's gonna be tricky but it's it's fun because it's the the challenges are interesting like Mm -hmm. we're going to shoot splash mountain we're going to shoot space mountain we're going to shoot uh main street and the disney castle man i'm so jealous and we're going to have like a character potentially mickey and you know you have to pay for the character the mickey mouse the magic kingdom version of mickey mouse and you know they're super precious like if we're shooting with mickey there can't be another mickey out on the course but yeah so there's just a lot of interesting things i'm sure i will come with way more interesting stories next week after my shoot mm-hmm. but uh but yeah it's exciting well have fun shooting at the happiest place on earth thank you it's also the most humid place on earth. <laughs> yeah are you worried about uh like a tropical storm at all or anything like there's a norm- normally like a day shower or thunderstorms i'm not that worried about rain nobody else everyone i'm working with has filmed there a ton mm-hmm. um i'm not worried about that but i am just worried about general discomfort of like I mean I sweat a lot and just even like going in and out of the air conditioned van when we mm-hmm. did this scout I was like man this is brutal <laughs> weather wise it's just Florida I'm just not used to like such so much humidity yeah cool so uh, so that's it so let's uh, talk to USC film student Jemai hi Jemai hi <laughs> welcome to the podcast just a little bit of context. Uh, we met you at the live show, and you'd emailed us before. The listeners of the podcast will remember you had a question about kind of just expectations, basically, and uh, 
you know, you were just entering um, grad school at USC and just had a lot of questions. So we kind of had been corresponding a little bit and then we met in real life at the, at the live show a couple weeks back Mm -hmm. and Oren and I were talking like, Oh, wouldn't it be great just to get like kind of a touch base every couple months with a a film student kind of going through the whole process. I think a lot of our listeners are contemplating going to film school or didn't go to film school and wondering if it was worth it. Uh, It's been a long time since we've been in school. So we thought, Oh, this is perfect. So yeah, my name is Jumai and I grew up in Massachusetts, but I was actually born in Nigeria and I am just starting my first year master's program at USC in the School of Cinematic Arts in film and TV production. Awesome. And um, what are you hoping to become after the program is done? Are you Do you want to direct? Do you want to produce? What's, what's your bag right now? Yes. So I want to direct for sure, but I'm also really open to learning about a lot of different parts of film, especially as I'm taking classes where we get to do every single part of production and I'm also really interested in writing I'm really enjoying my screenwriting classes right now and hoping to kind of develop those skills too while I'm here and did you study film for undergrad no I studied neurobiology Ooh, nerdy <laughs> pretty, yeah, pretty much <laughs> so can you tell us what classes you're taking this semester yeah so our biggest class right now is something called 507 and throughout this class we're going to make two short films. The first film we're making is a non-dialogue film and we kind of have to do all of the major parts by ourselves so that means we have to direct it and produce it, shoot it, and edit it. And then our second film we actually do get to have dialogue and we get to have some people help us out from our class. and. As a part of that class, we also um, were on a sound stage and we're learning about cinematography and lighting. And then we're also learning a bit about producing and we're in the Avid lab learning editing. And then we have a separate little module called directing lab where we're really focusing on directing and working with actors and casting. And it's a smaller, more intimate setting. And we're actually in little groups, so we get to act for each other and direct each other in class. So that's exciting. And are these, um, so you said the first one, there's no dialogue. The second one there is. What sort of cameras are you guys shooting on? So we're using the Canon XC15, which is, it's not a changeable lens. It's a pretty basic camera, but, you know, you can still make it look pretty good. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know the XC15 yeah. at all. Me neither. Um, Orin and I both were like, "What?" <laughs> but that's. But I feel like that is kind of part of the idea, right? Between this class is like, we're we're not yeah, working eliminate. on Sundance shorts. Mm-hmm. We're working on our muscles, mm-hmm. filmmaking muscles. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. 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 I, this sounds like a slightly different version of the classes that I took, but I think. Um, the fundamentals are the same of just kind of like limiting you mm-hmm. so that you have to purely do your fundamentals, right? Right. And visual storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Is the non-dialogue idea? Yeah, pretty much. They're really trying to push us to not only make it a non-dialogue film, but also not use a scenario where there should be dialogue, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, does. <laughs> I um, 
when I was a student, our class, our first film class, we did five non-dialogue Whoa. films. Oh, wow. And it is brutal. So I'm really excited for you to start watching. Are you watching dailies and stuff? So we haven't. Like, are you seeing your, your classmates work or we no? We haven't started filming yet. The first group films next weekend and then my group films the weekend after. And we will watch dailies and stuff like that in class, though. And do you know what you're going to do? Like, have you come up with a, your story? Yeah, I actually spent a lot of time over the summer trying to come up with just a bunch of different short film ideas since I knew we were kind of going to hit the ground running. So I have this, I guess you could call it a horror film. <laughs> and it's about a recurring nightmare and a woman who uses lucid dreaming to sort of confront the monsters that she keeps seeing in her nightmares. So it'd be pretty weird <laughs> that's cool and all with no dialogue yeah <laughs> i basically tried wow. to think of scenarios that you wouldn't be talking during and mm-hmm. i thought of sleeping <laughs> like when you're asleep <laughs> that's very much yeah <laughs> i wonder how many people use like deaf characters for these non-dialogue well i can tell you for sure from back in my day there was a lot of people trying to cram like their... sign language or subtitle no the other way around where they're like um, really trying to do a movie that absolutely should have dialogue in it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but without dialogue. But without dialogue. Yeah, it was undergrad also, so there's a, a less mature student body. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, um, certainly I had ones that you would do the trick where you would have a character turn around or their mouth was obscured in some way and then mm-hmm. put non-sync audio underneath that would like be a cheat of of dialogue <laughs> right which is the worst thing to do it's like yeah. it, not only does it is it cheating but it also makes your movie way worse mm. right but you watch like breaking bad or game of thrones where you see all these great shows and they do so much like nonverbal stuff mm-hmm. yeah. as opposed to like you know just like a, this really dialogue driven kind of network like cw shows that are like oh the bad guys are gonna get her unless we uncover the yeah, yeah. thing or you know like they're just so on their dialogue is just telling you the story so that's awesome why did you decide to attend usc and what are you hoping to gain from their program the biggest thing for me is that i wanted to go to los angeles so i only applied to schools in la to kind of force myself to move out there cool and you did you ever consider just coming out here without going to film school you know i did but i know that (laughs) my family was a little bit worried about me just moving out here without a job I was too. <laughs> and school was definitely kind of a safety net or at least, at least mm-hmm. a little bit reassuring. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. It's like putting off having to have a job, at least in your parents' eyes, you know, for four years or two years. Three years. Three years. Yeah, our producer Madeline also went through the grad program. So she's now starting her real life <laughs> post, um, post-school. Well, uh, cool. So our final question and something that we are hoping to ask you every time we check in with you is like, what's kind of the most surprising thing you've learned recently? Um, you know, like it can be anything about specific about filmmaking, how things work, uh, but just things that you wouldn't have known if you didn't go to film school. Well, I think one thing that has been really unexpected is, you know, I come from a guerrilla filmmaking background, which I feel like a lot of us come from. But here at USC, we are learning how to do things the right way. So Mm -hmm. we're getting 
location permits and we have to sign all these forms and like actor release forms and you know make sure we don't have like hazardous conditions and stuff like that and so that is something I've never seen before to be quite honest and kind of adds adds more time to pre-production you kind of have to think things through you can't just show up and kind of improvise when you get there so that has been a very interesting process and I feel like ultimately it will help when you know hopefully I actually go and work in Hollywood or in even an indie film or something because I'll actually know the proper way to do things yeah or even what corners you've decided you want to cut (laughs) for sure when I first started working in Hollywood I could always tell if there was a USC student on set because they would always start every sentence with, well, the right way to do this is so-and-so. SC students. Or you're talking, like, (laughs) you hung out with mostly AFI students who are, that's like the same situation. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I, you know, I know a lot of the SC students too, and they were always like, ugh, a China ball? Like what? We should have like a five k here, you know. No man. <laughs> um, but um, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I think that is, it is a really good step because I, my biggest problem as a filmmaker is probably shouldn't be saying this, and it's not really a problem anymore. But when I started, was like safety. Mm. It'd be like, why can't you stand through a sunroof and shoot someone like driving this motorcycle, you know, on this busy <laughs> freeway? Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it, it does force you to just have much more of a realistic plan Mm -hmm. and to have like backup plans. So Mm -hmm. that's cool. You know, I actually have one other question. I want to know what you're nervous about, what you're afraid of. Like what, where, where, where are you at anxiety wise with all of this? Mm -hmm. Cause I think that is going to shift pretty dramatically over the next few years as well. Well, I am having my auditions this weekend, so mm. definitely. Is this your first time having auditions? It's not my first time having auditions, but it definitely is my first time, you know, potentially having SAG union actors at auditions. Mm-hmm. And I'm using all these like websites I've never used, and they're, the auditions are just run a different way. Like you schedule people like ten minutes apart, <laughs> so. That is uh, something that's quite present on my mind right now. And also the fact that our first film, we have to do everything ourselves because I'm used to working with a DP or cinematographer. So Mm -hmm. that was something, especially over the summer, that I was kind of worried about. Like, okay, so how am I going to shoot this myself? That sort of thing. But class is helping with that, though, so... That's awesome. Well, yeah, I can't wait till we check in with you again after you've shot all that stuff and you let yeah. us know. We did have a podcast episode about how incredibly nervous we are as directors in auditions. Like, I think if you've been directing for two months or 20 years, like, it's still kind it's still of like... nerve-wracking. Yeah. yeah. For different reasons, I think, but always still... I mean, my casting directors, the ones that know me best tease me pretty merciless, mercilessly about how stressed out, stressed out I get. <laughs> yeah, casting is hard, yeah. I think. Um, but cool. But I know, I mean, you seem to have like a really awesome demeanor and I'm sure um, the neurobiology will come in pretty <laughs> handy for that. Somehow. <laughs> um, well, awesome. Well, thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to check in again and see... 
how yeah. things are going. How Jemai's Corner is going. <laughs> yeah. We're going to come up with a good name for this segment. Oh, Until then, <laughs> we'll say goodbye, Jemai. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Well, that was Jemai. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to follow her on her journey through film school, she is on Instagram at I am Jemai with two eyes. So I A M J U M A I I. Finally. Finally. If you like the show and you have a little extra cash laying around, consider being a patron from our Patreon. Just a, a buck a month goes a long way towards supporting our editors and uh, helping us bring this show to life. We do our live shows a couple times a year. Pastries and pizza. Basically, it's effectively like buying Oren and I a cup of coffee. Um, so visit patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. You'll get your name in the show credits, which is really nice. And a few extra other perks, um, some stickers, some shout outs, you know, we're constantly trying to build out other ways in which, um, the show can be of service to our community. Um, but don't worry, the show is always going to be free. So you were just supporting the people who are making the show like Chris and Jay. So thanks so much. And if you want to check it out, go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. Let's hop into our conversation with the director of three something James Morissini. So James, I met you because you acted in a video. I did the Quiznos, um, Waze runner. It was this, uh, it was like a parody of the maze runner, but it, the kids in the maze use ways to like try to find their way out. Yeah. That was so fun, man. Yeah, it was, that was a pretty fun shoot. I kind of realized recently, this is like, the biggest humble brag it's not even like humble in any way but kind of feel like all the stuff that like i originated and made myself is like my best stuff like all the stuff people hire me to do is that's a brag bro not as good as the stuff that i came up with and uh yeah it's a straight up brag but it's like like i look back like i'm like oh this year probably the best thing i made was like my reel which is like not even anything Mm. just an editing project why do you think that is because i think like, you know, I'm working on a few projects right now and there, I mean, are literally like 30 people giving notes on each thing, you know? Right, right, right. A pure vision. Well, speaking of a pure vision. Yeah. Oh, you want to talk about James? Yeah, I think oh, so. Well, I, I wanted to, real quick to finish my intro story. So he acted in my thing and he was like this really, he was a really good actor. I thought he was like great. And I was, when I found out we were going to do a sequel to the Maze Runner parody uh, I was like so excited to work with you again and I was like trying to figure out like what fun stuff we can do with you and then I realized that like your character was dead in the <laughs> so we didn't get to work again but then like a few months ago I was on Facebook and you know how you can send messages on Facebook just so we- like disarming when you get like an IM type message on Facebook yeah it's like no one wants it actually. <laughs> yeah you send me a message you're like hey, hey man what's up I was like oh not much you're like what are you up to I was like I don't know just directing random crap and then I was like, what about you? And you said, you know, I thought I'd try, a, try go for a feature. I just, just went for it. And I was like, and I knew you as an actor. I was like, what, what do you mean? You like acted in a feature? You're like, no, I made one. I was like, what do you mean? You like wrote one? You're like, no, I like I wrote it. I shot it. I directed it. I cut it. I was like, oh, so what are you going to do with it? And you're like, oh, well, it's done. Here, here's the link. And you just like <laughs> sent me the link like right then and there. And like just for a little bit of context, we didn't really talk much since the ways were maybe like once a year we'd like you'd post something and I'd write something on Facebook or something, not like we weren't chatting. And then I just like watched it right then, like while I was working on something and I was like, man, that this is like pretty good. Cause I think we had chatted a little bit and you told me that it was relatively low budget. You kind of did everything yourself. It was your first movie you wrote, directed, acted, edited. Uh, you did everything for it. And so yeah. So for listeners at home, I want to stop right there because yes. I know 
exactly what you're all thinking. When you hear anybody say, hey, I made a movie that I wrote in, I wrote, I star in, I directed, and I edited it. Um, and I'm an the, actor. And I'm an actor the, primarily. They're just like an intense narcissist. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, uh, m- maybe, but also that the movie is bad. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's like a recipe for a terrible yeah, yeah, yeah. movie. And uh, um, it's great. Yeah. Um, Matt uh, watched it last night because I was like, I really like this movie, you know, and I know it played it, it you know, played yeah. it, cin- it premiered at CineQuest, right? Yep. It's like a pretty awesome festival and, in the And Bay I've area. seen a version of that movie many times. You know, I go to mm-hmm. a decent number of film festivals and I really try my hardest to see stuff that isn't going to be widely distributed, you know, like the stuff that you'll miss. Like if you go to a film festival and you see the, the big headliner... You know that's just going to be in a movie theater or right. like on Netflix or Amazon Prime eventually. So I'm trying to see the smallest movies possible. That's normally the recipe of like, oh, a few friends got a camera together and shot a thing relatively quickly. Right. Yeah, some actors yeah. shot about, yeah. you know, wrote a story about their life in L.A. and they shot it. Um, yeah, and normally that's bad. This is good. So James, real quick, just tell us like the quick logline of your movie. Three friends try to have a threesome. It doesn't go as planned. And to kind of go down the rabbit hole of falling in love with each other and the person that was left out falls into kind of a crisis of masculinity and tries to figure out how to get it back yeah and it's called three something it's called three something and it's available on itunes it's on itunes amazon voodoo is it free on amazon it's uh it will be in about three months, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, but right well, now don't there's, wait. A, there's a paywall. Watch it right now. I mean, genuinely, I think it's worth it. You know, we we talk about a lot of movies on this show. This one's like, we'll watch it real quick. I think it'll be an interesting conversation because I think, you know, just to kind of lightning around through it, it's really great. How many days did you shoot it, James? Uh, in total, 17 or 18. And how big was your, your crew? Uh, at no point was it bigger than like... Four or five people. And it's basically three main characters, one additional actor who's like an important speaking role, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not, it, there's, it has scope. Like it, there's a yeah. lot of locations. They're inside, they're outside, they're outdoors. You see some scenes play out on Great video chat, some in an apartment, some at a park. Like it's, it does not feel contained in a way mm-hmm. that you think like three actors in a house would, you know? All of which is to say that I think that. This to me is an especially fascinating movie because it does all of those things right, right? We were saying beforehand, you know, you're an actor primarily. Um, All of the performances are really rich. There's a lot of great listening. It's really, you lean on like long takes where the acting and the performances really get to breathe and like show off the organic nature of the relationships between all of the characters. It's all very, very good. And so um, I think the real question for me is that you made this really cool movie. It's like micro budget. You know, it had a a cool release at CineQuest. Where are you now? What's going on right now in the movie's life and your life? Yeah. So thank you for saying all that nice stuff. Uh, That really feels good to hear. And by the way, if you just want to get a taste of the movie, what's the like viral trailer? Literally. Type in threesome on YouTube and it'll be one of the first videos that comes up. But if you want to look at one of the scenes, just look up threesome or three something threesome scene on YouTube. 
Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's like part of the, what's so endearing about this movie is like, you just kind of play it all out. You're not like cutting away at the critical part of the threesome. You keep all the awkwardness in. Yeah. It's like funny and embarrassing and emotionally true kind of all at once. I mean, all the threesomes that I've had have been just like that. Yeah. I think embarrassing is a word that (laughs) really captures the essence of it. Yeah. But in terms of where I'm at now, uh, we released the movie, I guess, last month. And we had a big screening at USC, which was really cool. Hey, an Alex Ago screening? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which was really good. He's rad. the guy who emails every student. Like, yeah. hey, come watch this movie. Amazing. And you went to SC undergrad or grad? Uh, undergrad. And you studied film production? I studied theater. Oh, okay. Did and you then, touch the film side Yeah, of I took a lot of classes through the film school. Oh, you can do that? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. They cool. just won't give you a degree, basically. Right. There's a handful of classes that only production students can take, or only critical studies students can take. But okay. for the most part, they're pretty open. Yeah. At yeah. yeah. UCLA, they let you do nothing if you're not a film major. Like most of the theory classes, you can take. There's, right. there's literally like one or two that you can't take. Yeah. So yeah, we released it last month, and where I'm at now is tr- kind of like. Uh, really reflecting on the whole experience of making the movie and trying to let that inform my next creative steps to kind of see like, okay, that was a year and a half, almost two years of my life. Um, Like what did I value from that experience? And do I want to continue to do? And what felt like it didn't really um, deliver on the experience that I wanted out of it. And that that's really what the movie is. It's like uh, fantasy versus uh, expectations versus reality. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of this career path, specifically, when you go into it, you have all these ideas of making films and acting and this and that. And then the reality of it is so different. And so I feel like I'm just constantly reckoning with the reality of it compared to my expectations of what it would be like when I, when I first started. So that that's where I'm at now is just like, I'm putting together my next movie, which I'm doing it. Uh, I'm looking for more money than I made this past one for taking out a TV show that I created. Um, and then, um, I don't know. I have some shorts that are like at festivals and stuff. And so let's, let's, I'm going to pump the brakes. Here. Yeah, please pump them. Um, so when you say, uh, you're raising money for your next film, do you want to say how big of a step up this is financially? Yeah, I do. Um, so, you know, three something was made for very, very little money. Like you paid for the whole thing yourself, right? Essentially. I mean, there was a, a couple, I mean, a lot of people worked for free, like your DP. Yeah. Everyone was pretty much working for the experience for like, for having a first feature right. for the love of the game. I chose my DP cause I had worked with him on some other shorts he was enthusiastic about making a feature and I, I was pretty transparent about like, Hey, this is going to be my first time making a feature. Are you down to like go for the ride with me? And he was, but also like, I'm not going to pay you. You're going to bring the equipment you're going to light it yourself. Uh, uh, yeah, essentially. Or did you, you only told him that once you got to set. No, no. Yeah, yes. So, so I, I watched the credits pretty closely for this reason. Your camera grip lighting, transpo department is two people total right <laughs> so you basically had an ac and a dp uh the ac was also like usually running sound yeah. oh, oh, okay. <laughs> or, or, or sometimes or sometimes it was just the dp and then whoever was in the scene 
and one of them would also be running sound. Yeah, yeah. and it's a lot from, of two shots. From within the scene. But yeah. didn't you tell me there was some shots where you're like pulling focus or something? Or like you set the focus and you had to like run in and shoot? Uh, I don't <laughs> think we went that deep. I love that idea. <laughs> but I, th- I think there was like some of it where it'd be like, okay, I'd see the focus. And then like there was just him and he was camera operating and DPing and so we'd set I the mean, focus and then we'd run in and, just, just and then look at it. Fuck like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like so awesome. And again, I think like out of that necessity comes a lot of style, you know, like I think that <clears throat> there's a good reason why there's a lot of long takes and it's not just because the performances are really great, but also like it's a little more convenient. And then there you go. Now you've got this kind of signature move. Yeah. I just want to make sure our audience knows that like, you don't have some rich uncle that gave you like half a million dollars, you know? No. Yeah, yeah definitely not. Um, this is a, a used car price for a movie. 100%. Yeah. And I, I just one other thing about how you made the movie, which you told me, which I was like really impressed by is I watched it and I was like, this movie like looks really good and the color is amazing. And I asked you who colored it and you, who was it? Like someone, random person you emailed? Mark Todd Osborne, who colored It Follows and Capote. <laughs> <laughs> and we we reached out to him and we're like, hey. We're when, like, when, who's we? Did you use your Sam, agent or Sam and I. Sam Sunshine co-wrote the movie with me. The other male actor. In yeah, it. he was pretty much the other workhorse on this. Yeah, no, we, we sent him an email just being like, hey, we really like your stuff. We, how'd you find his email address? Uh, a friend of mine had 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 a film colored by him, mm-hmm. and so I think I think he was like, "Yeah, just send him an email. He'll he'll get back to you." So did you say, "Hey, a friend of ours, yeah, recommended you." A friend of ours recommended you. Um, okay, that I mean, as silly as it sounds, I feel like that goes a long way. It goes a it long does, way. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, there was and you all, named that friend. Yeah, he was like, "Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's great. He definitely helped us out." And we were really candid with him up front. Not actually, not up front. We were candid with him after we could tell that we had a good rapport on the on the on the call, the first call. Did you have to show him the movie before he agreed? We had a call. Then we sent him a rough cut, and then he was like, he he named a price, and we were like, we just can't. There's no way. And then he was like, you know what? Uh, I can give you. I think it was like three days, mm-hmm. and we're gonna go real fast. And then you'll come in and you'll, you'll basically check my work, but it's going to be fast, but I'll be able to work with you guys. And we were well, like, good on him. We were yeah. like, all right, cool. Let's do it. And he lived in Torrance. Mm-hmm. And so we drove down, <laughs> it's like an hour drive. We drove down there, uh, gave him the hard drive, kind of set some looks, which is basically when you, uh, decide on uh, color grade that you like for the film. And then he just kind of sped through it. We came back a couple of days later and we're like, cool, cool, cool. Do this, do that. By the way, that's another reason to like you shoot oneers or kind of minimal 100%. coverage. Yeah. Is, it's much faster to grade than yeah. if you have like a hundred different angles. It's in each actually scene. easier. Like in every stage, it's easier when you're doing the edit yourself. You're not having to do a billion. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, when I made the movie, I was looking at my strengths. I was like, I've been, I've been an actor for a long time and I know I'm, I feel very competent. What are some of your, what are your, like your top three acting credits aside from the Waze Runner? Uh, Waze Runner? No. Um, no. um American Horror Story, uh, Lethal Weapon, and then probably like, I don't know, I've got a show coming out called Foursome on uh, oh, YouTube yeah. Red that I'm one of the Oh, sure. Of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, I just think it's like, 
I think it's super inspiring. But obviously, you'd been on a million sets. You knew performances. You'd seen directors' work. You went to theater school but did some film stuff. And had you done any shorts or anything before your feature? A lot, yeah. So I did a web series, like a 10-episode web series, where I basically like just... I was doing a play where they had me in a cabin up north somewhere. It was this really random little town. What was it called? Uh, it was called uh, Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Not to be the confused town? with... Yeah, not to be confused with... No, it was no. Sorry, it was Sonora. I think oh. it was one of it was the one that's not not nice. the wine country. Yeah, it's Son- not Sonoma is quite nice. Okay, yeah. no, no, yeah. no. It was Sonora. Gotcha. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, because when I first a lot of people snore there. When <laughs> I first yeah, they they're all snoring. Uh, no, when I first got out of school, I was pretty much taking whatever job I possibly could. I think I found Ways Runner on like Actors Access or yeah. something. Like I was pretty much just willing to do whatever to just be on sets and to be working. So I would do like little plays and stuff in the middle of nowhere. Uh, yeah. And so I was, and they had me housed in this cap, this random cabin in the middle of the woods. And so I literally like took the time to just write tons and tons and tons of like, basically any awkward interaction I've ever had in my life. I put into like a little scene form and then we just shot each basically awkward interaction as an episode of this, uh, of this web series. And so I had directed that. And it's funny because I, I got a lot of people that I'm really surprised they were willing to do. Cause it was like, like I, actors, you mean? Yeah. I got a great actor named John Ennis who was on the show. Sure. He's on Mr. Show. It was like, yeah, the, maybe like the second or third thing I've ever directed. I've taken it offline since <laughs> I was, um, play yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. John, uh, was in townies. Oh, I talked to him about show. it. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a, a show I did for black pills. Huh? Probably, I would guess, after you had had him. But he just works nonstop. Yeah. He's just like a really generous soul Super who's just generous. like ready to hang out and get stoned and be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were shooting like in the laundry room of my apartment complex. Like, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and he's cool with it. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's uh, really And I was a, kind a generous of man. figuring out how to do it as he was there. And, and other, you know, other actors that I would just kind of reach out to and be like, hey, do you want to do this? And most people were down. And you just borrowed a camera and got some lights? Uh, for that, a friend had a camera, uh, and I had made one short with him before with uh, with a, a friend, uh, two friends I'd, like, made a quick little short with, and I was like, I want to do 10 of these. And so I, we shot, and then I edited them all myself. It was Those were, like, the first things I had edited, so they were, like, I, I looked at them like last week they're super choppy and I mm-hmm. I don't really understand pacing as I'm as I'm you know looking back on it and um, yeah so I I had had the experience of like going through you know 10 little projects and really not knowing what I was doing right and then it was a matter of like after ha- being able to reflect on that and see like what worked and re- what really didn't you know a lot of them I'm like jumping the line and doing mm-hmm. stuff like that uh, and yeah, it's like a low stakes environment where you can low make all those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I had done that and then I had just, and then I, I, I felt more confident through all of those mistakes and through putting them up and still like liking the stuff I was putting out, even though it was like technically very flawed, there was still like something it was saying that I liked. I had been really obsessed with watching really micro budget movies, like mm-hmm. the Duplass brother stuff and Swanberg and whatnot. Uh, and so I was just kind of like, let, uh, let's just go, let's just go make one. 
let's figure it out. Let's just like, we'll, we'll just start making one and let's just try to make an, you know, um, a feature. Let's not worry about if it's good or bad. Let's just make one and then we can figure out how to make it good as we go about making one. Um, and I, I was on vacation with family and I called my friend Sam and I was like, Hey dude, we're, we're doing this. Let's go for it. You know, I started just writing out all my thoughts and stuff and, you know, scene ideas or dialogue or whatever. When we came back, we threw it up all on a, on a whiteboard with like, uh, some were fully written scenes. We never had a paper script. We just had a, a, a cardboard whiteboard <laughs> that we would br- literally bring around from set to set with all these post notes and scribbles and stuff. And we would often just be explaining to actors like, you say this, I say this, you say this, I say this. Like, we, well, hold on. So you literally like never. There was never a document. Like online. not even like a Google Doc no. or a Word. Like literally uh, you had. Unfortunately not. No digital. <laughs> there, it was literally. It was a, a bunch of post-it notes up on some cardboard. We should say you were sponsored by Post-it, right? <laughs> I no, no, no. Wait, I on. wish. We would have done <laughs> No jokes. I want to get to the real, real. Nothing. Like you just, you literally like were like, hey, here's this brain vomit and we're going to so, make a scene but happen. It, yeah, it was like a pretty detailed brain vomit. Like some scenes were fully, you know, had all of the dialogue. And, mm-hmm. then, and then others were kind of ideas that we would then find on the day. And then through the edit, the scene would come together. And then through reshoots, it would come together even further. Great. So let's talk about the reshoots for just a second. Sure. I feel like my wife actually emailed me an article from maybe a USC blog or a movie maker. She read, she sent me an article that you were interviewed in. Oh, interesting. And she was like, oh, you, this guy would be great for the podcast. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. He's already on. Um, wow. Uh, but about this process of kind of like shooting and did you shoot for a, a full 12 or did you kind of shoot and then like regroup and then you mean 12 hours, 12 hours. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Per day. Uh, sometimes under and sometimes way over. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. But so, so there was an iterative process of like figuring out how the scene Iterative worked. is the exact word to describe it. I mean, it would, it would be like, but I mean, we, so we, we had like 11 or 12 days of just like, we're shooting every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movie we started with was not the movie that, like, the movie we had in mind when we began was not about a, a threesome. It had nothing. It, wait, wait, it wasn't about a threesome? <laughs> not really, really, no. Yeah, it was about... And at some point you're like, well, we should make it. No, since the title is threesome. Four day, should, no, the title was All Together Now. It was, like, it was this really stupid movie about a guy coming home from rehab. Uh, it, 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 but we were like, let's just figure, we're just going to, like, and, and all those scenes were written out. But we shot, it was like, it was essentially like the first, it was just a way different first act. And then we hit the threesome scene and we were like, oh, this is the first thing that like, but and and we, it felt like we were killing ourselves as we were making this thing because it was just so bad. Right. So, you, how many days did you shot before you did the threesome scene? Three or four. Three or four. So a third of your shoot. I mean, yeah. I mean, we shot eight, let's say eighteen days. Oh, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I was thinking twelve days, but but still, no. A, you a, said twelve days until you totally changed. Right. Court, until you started the reshoot. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So so we had that, and it was like. And it was kind of was like, you know, shot on a red and it was one of the first things I'd shot on a red. So I was like, wow, it looks really nice. But it like really was pretty aimless. But on the fourth day we, we shot this thing where the characters have a threesome and it was like, 
oh, this is our film. This is like what this we, feels authentic. This feels really authentic, and we're all cracking up, and we're all trying really hard not to laugh as we're making it. And like it was just so fun. So we actually, I think, we paused for like uh, we paused for a few days, and then uh, and kind of just I went into kind of like a manic work state and just like reorganized the whole movie. And they were like, "This is the film." And then I remember walking to my apartment one day and I was like, it's threesome. It's like something like a threesome, something. Whoa, it's like threesome, something, threesome. It's <laughs> fucking threesome. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's kind of, and, and it was, it was all through that energy of like, we're just, it can be iterative. There's very little at stake here. Everybody's enthusiasm comes from just like making a feature and doing it and figuring it out and learning. So there was, there's not, there wasn't a ton of money at stake. We're not, we weren't, mm-hmm. we didn't need to deliver an amazing thing. Your worst case scenario is that you just don't finish it. Basically. That was the worst case. Yeah. And so at all costs, we were just like, we're going to finish this. Mm-hmm. I think an awesome takeaway from this is just how much you mine your own life and awkward moments and anxieties and problems and turn them into art. It's the only, it's, it feels like my anesthetic, man. I mean, it, it feels like the only way I can go through life. Cause I'm like, wait, is anybody else feeling this way? Like it, it's just, otherwise it just feels like such a lonely experience, like having awkward interactions where you're like, it just it feels so disconnected. So to be able to take that and use that as the thing you're connecting with, uh, other people on is, is really satisfying. Yeah. James made this short about how his dad like went for a jog and he like came to his house and wanted to use his shower. Yeah. He was like really sweaty and James like didn't want all his dad's like sweaty clothes all over his bathroom floor and all, you know, his house. And I don't know. I felt like first I was like, this is ridiculous. Anyone would let their dad shower in their shower. <laughs> but then it was like, I feel like you really sold it, but it just seemed like one of those things that like happened to you and you made this short of it. It absolutely did. My dad was visiting and he had gone for a run and was like, let's go to lunch. And he was just drip. He was like (laughs) drenched. And then he's like, I'm just going to use your shower really quick. And there was just something that felt so invasive to me, but it also (laughs) felt so ridiculous that I had this hesitation. And I, I was just like, what is this bizarre hesitation about this guy using it in my shower? Like, who cares? But it's really like, it's like, has something to do with like, I, I, your identity as an adult and how it's like infringing upon that. And like his expectation of just, I should be able to use the shower. Like there's something really interesting. Right. There like he well. owns your apartment because you're his son. Yeah, exactly. Of. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like a Larry David story in it, but told in a Joe Swanberg way. Interesting. I really That's like that. What that one reminds me of. Okay, so what Matt and I talked about, us really wanting to get to in this interview, which has taken us a while to get to, is is like, was it worth it? Was making this ultra low budget film that obviously did well, people like it, it played at festivals, you sold it, right? That's how it's, it's, you're not putting it on Amazon yourself, the distributors. Correct. Yeah, who's your distributor? Gravitas Ventures. Yeah, which is like totally legit distributor. What does that mean for your career as like a director? So we just released it last month, so I'm not quite sure what, how it's going to affect my career. I think it adds an element of legitimacy where I'm not like a first time director and there's that catch 22 where it's like, well, we need somebody that's directed a feature before and it's like, well, how do you get your first feature then? Um, yeah. So I, I think, uh, I think I also have something to send people when I'm, Mm -hmm. when I'm putting other projects together. Um, in terms of, was it worth it? 
I guess the thing I think about is like, well, what, what does it mean for something to be worth it? Uh, and I guess it's like, does it line up with the goal you had set going into it? Uh, and for me, my goal is like, I don't know what, I don't know what to do out here. I'm, I was like 25 or something. And I was like, I don't, I'm kind of flailing. I'm like getting here. You mean like Hollywood, Los Angeles. And also just like here in my life at 25 as an, as an artist, what, what do I do with my time? My breakthrough web series, I started at 26. I think I feel like there's something about that age and like, being out here for a certain amount of time when you're like, what am I doing? Like you just start to feel like you're drowning. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a quarter life crisis. It it was my, it was my, it felt like my life preserver, uh, at that point in my life where I was like, I need to do, I need to set my sights on something more ambitious than I feel prepared to, to even do. And then just commit with my entire life to that thing. Uh, and so in that, in that respect, like showing myself that I could do that and, mm-hmm. and that it was going to be gnarly and there was going to be parts that like you, like there were, I mean, cause we were doing so much of it ourselves. It's like, we're data managing ourselves. We're running sound ourselves. So there was so many times where like the sound would not be recording over the whole <laughs> night or like someone would think they transferred the whole card to the, fr- from the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from the, from the card to the drive, but it like would have gone somewhere else and then, or like not been transferred and then it was cleared. And so we'd have to like reshoot just so many stupid mistakes like that. Or we'd like transfer from like a four terabyte drive to a six. And then all of the sound files that I ha- like synced by myself would then be totally unsynced. And then like the whole cut would be all disorganized and everything. And it was like maddening. Like just insane making. So going back to whether or not it was worth it, it's like, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was worth it. Cause it was like, I learned, I went into it with the intent of, I'm going to learn how to make a feature and I'm going to go through the entire process so that I understand how to do it. And I'm, if there's something I don't know how to do, I'll get there and then ask people who have done it before, how do I do this? And I'll just you know, Google it or ask somebody else that's made a movie in the same way. I'll just figure that out when I hit that point. Cause the reason I had not made it feature up until that point was just, Oh, I, I don't know how to do post sound. I don't know how the post workflow works, but I, I hadn't even, you know, done the first steps. Sure. Right. So yeah. it's, I kind of look at it like it's a flashlight, like a lot of life is like a flashlight where you can see a foot in front of you. And you'll make it to the other side of wherever you're trying to go, but you can't worry about the steps, you know, miles in front of you. You just have to look at like what's directly in front of you and you'll figure it out. Let me recommend uh, an LED flashlight. They're way better. <laughs> yeah. No, I have like a really shitty like, yeah, yeah, like candle. A, mm-hmm. I'm using just a candle. Yeah, just use the iPhone. <laughs> well, let me ask you a more specific question sure, about sure. whether it was worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that your series, if it's the one I'm thinking of, is like a sci-fi series. Yep. Do you feel like when you pitch that and you show people three something, which is like, and I mean this in the best way possible, like a kind of more of a mumblecore type relationship movie, do you feel like having made that helps you with this sci-fi series? Even just having a point of reference to be like, it's kind of like this or, or just to have, just to have some, but is your series kind of like your movie uh in certain ways yeah it's exploring micro interactions mm-hmm. but instead of it just being that it's 
with the backdrop of an alien invasion. And so you're exploring social dynamics, uh, a different one in each episode with that same alien invasion. Um, so yeah, you're, you know, um, so yeah, it's like, I'm, it's a similar sensibility and I can point to that sensibility because I've, you know, with my movie. So when you say you're taking the, the show out, what does that mean exactly? Um, well, I'm figuring that out. You know, it's like, this is the first time I've gone through that official process. I'm, I'm going through it with a friend of mine that, uh, has kind of helped me put the show together. And by Mm -hmm. that, I mean, take kind of the raw idea and then mine into it and then put that into, uh, like a structure, uh, a deck that is succinct and clean and, and can really communicate the idea and the tone of it succinctly. Uh, and then, yeah, through, uh, a combination of his representation and mine, we're making a list of uh, like showrunners or people that kind of fall in the right uh, tonal ballpark. And then it's about uh, just because neither one of us have run a show before, so we want to like make sure that the package is good before we officially approach networks and stuff. So yeah, it's about like, I guess, bringing on one of those people and then going to networks uh, with, hey, this person is going to direct the pilot or this person is the showrunner or I think that's how we're going about doing it. Again, I'm, it's kind of a, a, my first run through it, so I'm, I'm kind of figuring it out. Well, how much do you care about directing the pilot? I, I, I would love to, but I just don't, I want to kind of keep the... Um, I don't know. I, I think if we could get a pilot director that has a lot more experience than, and, and that makes the show go, then great. I'm willing to concede on that. Cool. And what it was set up somewhere before, right? We, I was with, I was working with a company and then the person who I was working with moved to a different company. And so I had to let go of all the projects that he was developing. Mm-hmm. And how did you find that company or how was it pretty he much? He had seen, we had released a clip of three something online. He had seen, he had, he told me the story of how he found me. He said that a friend of his that he feels competitive with had liked the trailer or the, the hmm. random teaser. And then he wanted to call us in because he wanted to beat his, his friend, friend. beat his friend. <laughs> and so I had this like rant kind of random, that's general. Incredible. And then I was like, Hey man, you know, and, and, and he was interested in three something and then he shared three something and it, it wasn't really, it was, I shared the, like the very rough cut with him and it didn't really jive with his company. Um, but yeah. And then we started talking about this idea and it was actually a play. I had, I had made a, I had written it as a play at first that I just submitted to this random play festival <laughs> and we, we staged like a 30 minute, play um over six weeks same cast as three something and then i shot a, a, a little section of that play and i've That's since the one with the waiters right yeah and i've i've since kind of taken it tonally in a really different direction but uh I, again it feels like i don't know it kind of feels like the way i'm finding making stuff work for me now is like you just do you just do legwork and it's all iterative iterative it's like you you it's like a seed like that was a seed and then time passes and you mature 
And then the seed like turns into something else, but it wouldn't have been able to turn into something else had you not just taken those steps. Right. Originally. The flashlight, man. Um, I I feel like I might be too philosophical. No, but I think think this is like super valuable. A lot of our podcast is about how someone with no connections and nothing to show gets to a place where they're pitching TV shows to Hollywood studios. And usually it's not that they have a great idea for a TV show and now next step they're pitching to studios. Sure. You know, and I think your path is a really doable one Mm -hmm. where you go and you make a couple of shorts with your friends then you make a feature with your friend and then, I mean, you literally go on Facebook and like any film person you've ever talked to before, you just say like, hey, what's up? What are you up to? Like I made this movie and then next thing you know, you're on their super popular podcast. Yeah, (laughs) super popular. Let Let me ask you a slightly awkward question. When you Facebook messaged Oren, had you been Facebook messaging other people? Like, was this... Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I... Was this kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to Facebook message everybody. Yeah, man. I think something that I realized was I need to be okay. I need to not worry about looking desperate early on in my career. I'd rather just take a bunch of shots, see what connects, and then follow the path on those shots. Sure. So there's a little bit of like copy paste, like... Yeah, sure. I I don't know if that's how I reached out to Oren... I think it might have been more organic than that, but it, it might not have been. I mean, I've definitely gone, I've definitely done that. And I, I don't, I, although I, I don't know. I don't know if I still would, but I don't it, know. It, to me, it yeah. didn't come off as desperate. What comes off as desperate is like some actor that was not great. That was sure. You know, sure. Yeah. did some not great role in something of mine reaches out to me and is like, Hey, I have this idea for a movie. Sure. Do you want to work on it with me? Sure. Um, but get, you were like, Hey, I made a movie. Here's the link. Like, it's like you'd already done all the legwork, you know? And I even, I think I sent it to Joe McAleer, you know, window seat. Oh yeah. That you met yeah, with. yeah. Um, we met and we talked about your show, like there, everything you had already, you had like done 99% of the work and you were just like, Hey, I made something. I want to show it to you. Like, what do you think of this? And do do you know anyone I should talk to? You know, kind of that that was the presentation, which I think doesn't come off as desperate at all. It comes off. It's like the same as me making like an awesome music video and putting it on Facebook and seeing what people say, you know? Yeah, I guess I just I guess I just realized that if I'm going to if I'm going to really stick to this as my career that I like worrying about what other people think about me really has to go. Like, I just need to let that be in the back seat, uh, and, and not, and just not worry that much about it. Like, mm-hmm. and, and just be, my intent at that point was like, I, I want to reach out to some people whose opinions I trust and, and whose direction, uh, I, I can, I, who, I, I just want to know who, like, who's kind of like done some of the things that I want to do. And then just like, really ask them all of the nitty gritty questions that, uh, I'd like to ask them. So I, I think I was just, I don't know. I, I still feel like I pretty much have the same mentality where like, I'll kind of reach out to whoever. Uh, and if, you know, uh, if they'd gone through the similar, the same path as me, they'll be cool with it. I mean, if someone reaches out to me, if anyone hears this and wants to reach out, like you can hit me up and I'll just, I'll probably be down and talk to you unless you're insane. Um, how, how can people reach out to you? Uh, you can go on to my website, uh, jamesmorsini.com. Um, and there's a, I, I guess it's best to just contact me through there. 
And yeah, man. Twitter or anything? Yeah, Instagram, Morrisini Tortellini. Twitter. Uh, I've never had to say it before. I I rarely have to say it. It it makes me want to change it. Uh, But my Twitter, I don't really go on Twitter very much. Yeah, so Instagram is probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Morrisini Tortellini. I guarantee a few people will reach out. All right, well, what's up? And then, um, yeah, it'll be really nice, actually. Like, the our fan base is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah. you texted me, too. Like, you did your crypto. Like, I, I oh, think yeah. it's probably worth mentioning that you did get some paid directing gigs oh, sure. off the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I look at all of this as, like, I really like to throw away the idea of there being a hierarchy, even though that's kind of the paradigm a lot of people exist in, where there's, like, big Hollywood studios, and then there's, like first time directors or whatever, like everybody's just a person at random stages in their life. All of them are usually just focused on what they're going through. And like everybody is just a person trying to figure it out and we could all die tomorrow. So there there's, it's a lot less precious than like film school or the books you read or any of these, you know, the podcast, it's, it's just a lot less precious, uh, how we go about doing all these things than I think some people like to make it. Um, or, or feel, I don't know why that's a thing, but I just, uh, money, money is why. What do you mean? I well, mean, and like, fear. Well, I think yeah, it's fear. True. I think it, it's like, I think we're so afraid to be like left out in the rain from like the tribe, you know? Right. Or sure. writing a script and sending it to someone and everyone says it sucks. And then you feel like you shouldn't do this. Yeah. It's yeah. just, we're so invisible. I mean, I just think there's so many people trying to do this. And so if you really believe in yourself, just go like what what are you doing if you're not like taking every shot you have at every step of the road like you it's it's i feel like it's not an industry to like you know save your bullets like you, sure you know right yeah. and obviously i'll from your experience and i think matt in my experience as well like you don't have to be directing everything it's not like directing or nothing like you'll act in something or write right. something or create or edit if sure. you need to um and by doing all those things, you learn, you become a way better filmmaker. Yeah. You know, when you sit in your cabin while you're acting in some play and write 10 webisodes, you're like, become, and, and then shoot them and then see what's working and what's not working and cast them and do all those things. Like you're learning so much um, as opposed to waiting till someone tells you, okay, I'll give you this money to direct something. Yeah. And I, I try to just look at it like once it's like, you know, today I was right. I'm writing the pilot for this show that I'm working on encounters. And it was like, I wrote it and then it was like 20 page. It was like, it was too short. I basically took like a vomit that I did on Microsoft word, put it in the, uh, final draft. And it was like, this is too short. So I like had my girlfriend go through and read it. And I wanted to hear from her, like what she wanted to hear more of on the way here. Uh, I was, I kind of set my mind on, okay, dude, you're just going to, start listing other scenes that could happen in the realm of these things that are interesting. And it's just like a a lot of it, I feel like is almost like of this career path. It almost feels because it's all coming out of your mind. You have to have a really, you have to really decide, decide. And then also just be like aware of what your attention is doing as as much as possible. I, I try to approach the whole thing kind of from like a meditative place Mm -hmm. in terms of just being aware of my attention uh, yeah, like okay now you're going to focus on this project and that's the work for me is just like okay on this drive or this walk or whatever you're just going to look at everything through the lens of this particular thing that you're trying to make right wow well great great insight unfortunately i think we have to wrap things okay. up um 
We have. Did we tell you about the final segment of our show? Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. Do you guys ever listen to revisionist history? Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. I am so late to the game on this one, but boy, I've really loved it. I've really like fallen in love with it pretty hard. So Madeline uh, also says she loves that podcast. I had a hunch, um, <laughs> and I love it uh, on a couple levels, but the production is really great on it. You know, they just do such a nice job of mixing interview and first-person narrative and narration and uh, like a little bit of documentary all in one. It's like so nice to hear. It's like the craftsmanship of that show is on another level. And a lot of podcasts, I think, um, can't aspire to that because of, you know, the financials of it, right? But for whatever reason, they've really like figured out the a business that supports a really high level of craft. And so on top of everything else, uh, just sounds like a great podcast. I will say the problem with it, which is a problem with all podcasts like that, is there just aren't enough episodes. Just, no, no, yeah. And like, I find that half the times I try to tune in, they're like, today we're going to replay our favorite episode from yeah. the first season. <laughs> um, and it's like, okay, I know this podcast is so good. I wish there was more. It's like Game of Thrones, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, it's a real bummer. Uh, James, you got anything, buddy? Yeah. So, uh, I actually have been, re- I've been listening to a book that I, that I started listening to, uh, from someone's unpaid endorsement. Oh, really? Oh, cool, <laughs> man. The, the book deep work. Oh yeah. That's a Carlin yeah, recommendation. Yeah, yeah. And so I've been listening to it and something they've been talking about is like setting a time every day where you, you literally stop doing any kind of work and you just like let yourself totally get distracted and you know just let your brain run free so i've been playing this video game that i played when i was like in middle school and high school called counter-strike sure yeah yeah yeah. and i've just been playing like an hour of it every day (laughs) but dude it's the most cathartic thing just like sure playing with all these like high school kids and like yelling at them and strategizing with them it's like so it's like so like random and it turns my brain off for an hour and it's it like it's been making me a lot happier that's um, so funny so there's that and then i have two others but sure do you, yeah, you yeah. want to say something about no, no no i was just gonna say that i played counter-strike very <laughs> briefly in like my freshman year of college uh, I, yeah when i was an engineer we would play it like at the end of the day like everyone yeah. would log on but it well, would be like a all, only people that knew each other played it and it's a thing of like oh high-speed internet being a thing yeah man yeah and it's and it's funny because i I only know one map very well, so I've played the same map for like 10 years. And so it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But um, in terms of uh, other things, I've been reading this book called Cassavetes on Cassavetes. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I really like it. It's, it talks about... I'm going to uh, make a note of that. Yeah, it, it talks... It, it's like a compilation of all of Cassavetti's interviews and stuff. And there's just... He expresses this frustration with a certain point in his life. And just like, what do... This kind of restlessness and, and kind of putting that into the work. And this... I, I don't know. I just... I really connect to the spirit of it. And then a film I recently saw is, is called Tony Erdman. And it's unreal oh yeah french film right it's german German? i think yeah Yeah, but it's unbelievable man and it's like it starts out kind of a little bit aimless and you're like okay i don't really know if i can get into this but then you but then you realize like oh my god all of that stuff you thought was aimless was like setting up certain Mm, things cool really grounding it yeah i know the woman who 
optioned the movie for the U.S. to remake oh, cool. an American with, version with, with Jack Dunham Nicholson. Stuff. Was she was writing it, Lena? Though? Yeah, Lena yeah, Dunham yeah. was writing it, but not not her. Um, but uh, yeah, I, they might make an American version. But yeah, I, I've seen the trailer. It's like about the the daughter and the son, right? It's about, I mean the daughter a, and the father. It's about a daughter and a father, and yeah, the daughter takes her life very seriously, and the dad comes in as is like kind of a jokester. And it's about like how you really can't take life that seriously. Yeah, it's a it's a really really funny movie. Uh, yeah, I really want to see it. Well, I'm gonna skate off of one of your recommendations. It just reminded me something I've never recommended on this podcast, but another book that's really great is called The Name Above the Title. Have you guys ever read that book? Mm-hmm. It's actually a Frank Capra autobiography. Oh, cool! He was the first director to ever have his name come before the title. Mm-hmm. So it would be like a Frank Capra film. You know, it's a wonderful life or whatever. And before I read that book, I'd seen literally seen zero Frank, oh, Frank Capra films. Wow. Um, and he talks about just like how he got into being a director, which was he was drafted into the military and mm-hmm. he was making movies called Why We Fight. They were propaganda films for Americans to support the war. Um, and he he came up with all these like interesting observations. He found out that like when people are watching a movie in the theater, uh, they can process story a lot faster than in real life mm-hmm. and he realized that he should just have all his actors go about 30 percent faster because in a theater which is where all his movies you know were watched mm-hmm. um people just that they group just got, think, it. Wow. got it faster um and he has all these interesting you mean tidbits. just speak faster speak act move you know just like act huh. faster just pace it up um yeah so check it out read it uh, the name above the title really good yeah nowadays you know it's like tom cruise mission impossible but back then there was no it was the title first always until frank capra came and said i am more famous than the the movie but but he's cool too and then my other thing is uh this ted talk i think the name of the woman is celeste headley and she does a bunch of ted talks but one of the ones i watched was called 10 ways to have a better conversation it's actually Mm. changed how I do no the podcast way. that's probably not super noticeable. Mm. But one of the things she says is a thing that you shouldn't do in a conversation is when someone tells you a story and say, Oh yeah, that happened to me. And this was the version of how it happened to me. She says that kind of like diffuses like mm-hmm. everything. The other person has What's said the alternative to listen. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of her things is she said, she said, while you're listening, you'll have thoughts about what the person is oh, saying. I see. And you'll be so worried that you're not remember what they are. So you interrupt people and you tell them like, oh, that happened to me once or this happened. Or my kid also had that same issue or whatever you say. And she's like, just get those thoughts and then just let them go. Like, it's not important to like keep things. And Mm -hmm. I have a big problem on this podcast with like asides and tangents and like saying, look, one time I made a movie and this thing happened to us. And I'm really trying to like tone that down a little bit and tamper it down. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, uh, Madeline reminded me one she, time I had a podcast and my co-host just kept going. Ah, geez. Um, that Madeline reminded me that she also encourages you to ask questions, you know, mm-hmm. that, that to be an act, how to be an active listener. Cause a lot of conversations are literally just people waiting to talk. Yeah. Um, so anyway, check it out. Celeste Headley. It's on YouTube. Ted talk. That's pretty great. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much, James, for coming and talking to us. Thanks, guys. James, how can uh, listeners find out more about you? Yeah, they can go to my website, jamesmorsini.com. They should also uh, check out my movie, Three Something. It's on Amazon, iTunes, uh, all of the different places. Awesome, man. Well, that's really special. Go. Uh, we encourage everybody to go check it out. 
it's a really great uh, movie and also like a really great primer on how to do a micro budget feature right so thanks so much james thanks guys you can check out all the things we talked about on the show on our show notes at justshootitpod.com. Uh, you can follow us on all social media at justshootitpod, me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. If you feel like leaving us a comment on iTunes, we will read it out loud. We really love them. It helps people find the show. And uh, this episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music uh, you're listening to right now is from the Artist Jazar and the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim. Bye.